Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Hey, if you have Bibles or if you have a phone app where you can access the Bible, you can Google something, you can open up to Luke's Gospel, chapter 17. Luke's Gospel in chapter 17. While you're opening, I want to set up this morning, uh, the morning which we're going to talk about gratitude and thankfulness. That's our theme here today. And uh, just to set it up, I'll kind of tell you this story. Uh, When I was younger, we moved from Houston, Texas to a small town in East Texas. And I remember during my uh, third grade year, as we were getting into town, uh, my birthday was coming up. And it was a new town. I didn't know people. Uh, and so I, I kind of developed the strategy. I told my parents, I said, listen, let me write my own thank you notes, or I'm sorry, my own um, uh, birthday invitations. Let me, you know, if you'll just get envelopes ready, I'll write the birthday invitations. You guys mail them out. That way we can invite people to the party. And for some reason, they said yes. And so, you know, I got on, I think I did this on computer, if I remember, and printed off all the copies and got them in the stacks and my mom prepared the envelopes, and uh, we got the Rolodex for my dad's uh, business contacts, and um, everyone we could just know, like I'm pulling out the phone book and just going, Aaron Aronson, here we go, we're just, right? And so we, we put the envelopes together, stuffed them, put the, you know, little stamp on the outside, mailed them off. What my parents didn't do in that whole process is check the copy of the invitation because had they done that, what they would have noticed is that the the invitation basically went like this. Greetings. Um, You are invited to Doug's birthday party at this date, uh, at this time, at this location. Uh, We're requesting your presence there. Sincerely, Doug Hankins. P.S. Please bring presents for Doug. Yeah. Signed, sealed, delivered, mailed off. My dad shows up at his, he's a lawyer. He showed up at his law office. One of his partners came in and was like, Hankins, what's going on with this birthday present? We're trying to like pump us for gifts here. Like what's going on here? It's like a, it's like a ransom note. What's, you know, what's happening here? My dad was embarrassed and he got home and he was going like, Doug, just set me down. Doug, what were you thinking? And I told him, I was thinking I wanted to maximize my gifts. Uh, you know, I didn't know anybody. You got you to cast a wide net to kind of invite people into that funnel of gifts that were coming my way. Here's the reason why I tell this story. Here's the reason. Um, most of us, even as you've listened to this story, most of us can recognize when people are not gracious, or I'm sorry, when people have ingratitude. Let me say it that way. When people uh, are a little bit self-centered when they're asking for things, and we all recoil at that instinctively. Similarly, we all recognize when someone is truly being grateful, when they, are, when they are thinking, when they just have an attitude of gratitude, and there's something very appealing about all of that. In this passage that we're looking at today, Jesus wants to teach us something really important about what it means to follow him, but he also has a great deal to say about this idea of thankfulness. And as we're all getting ready in America to practice Thanksgiving, I want to invite us to meditate on this idea from Jesus today as we look in Luke chapter 17. So again, with Bibles open, if you have them, or your phones out, we'll read together here. And the way I'm going to go about it is I'm going to read a little bit, make an observation, 
read a little bit, make an observation. It'll kind of like be a, it'll be a road trip through Scripture here. So I hope you guys are ready to go with your seatbelts buckled. Here we go. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. And they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Let me stop there. I want you to notice something here that's happening in this text. I want you to notice that there's a miracle present, but there is a distracting nature to this miracle. I want you to notice this distracting nature of the miracle. There are 10 lepers. If you had leprosy at that time, there weren't hospital systems. It wasn't There wasn't like a medical process going on right there. And so the way that lepers would be, um, they would deal with this disease is they would stay about, you know, a distance from people and they would either wait for it to be uh, cleansed or cleaned and then they would go see a priest and a priest would tell them, they are, you're clean now. Um, But they would have to stay away from people. And that's what we have here. Jesus has come into this area. They see him. They recognize that he is this religious leader who maybe has some magic powers. And so they are trying to remember together the phrase that you use when you cry out to ask for healing. In Psalm 86, just as a reference, uh, King David uh, has this really interesting thing that he writes in Psalm 86. He says, O Lord, I am poor and needy, so have mercy on me. In Psalm 86, David establishes largely this, this kind of phrase that you use whenever you pray to God and you say, God, heal me. Whenever you're poor and needy, you cry out, Lord, have mercy on me. And so they've, they've remembered this, they've recalled it, they see Jesus, they're at a distance and they cry out, Lord, Master, have mercy on me. And here is where the miracle takes place. While he is still far away, Jesus looks at them and says, go to the priest and you will be healed. And as they start turning and walking to go find the priest in their, you know, whatever their priest is, they're on their way to church as they're going to talk to the priest. On the way, they notice that their leprosy is being healed. It's a miracle. Now, as we'll read a little bit later in this story here, Nine of them keep going and just kind of go about their lives, but one of them turns and comes back to Jesus, recognizing that there's something greater going on here. And Jesus doesn't really want to speak ill of the nine. He's more so trying to praise what's going on in the one who turns back. We'll get to him in just a second. But he is making some type of commentary about the nine. They had faith. They believed in Jesus. They were doing what Jesus told. But there's a sense in which they're a little bit distracted by the power of this miracle. They're just kind of, their eyes are completely fixed on the miracle, and they have completely lost sight of the miracle worker. Does that sound familiar to anybody in this room here today? Have you noticed that as human beings, oftentimes when good things happen, sometimes that good thing that happens can blind everything else? We've had so many good things happen in this past week, okay? If you were to stop and take stock, there have been a ton of good things happened last week. But it's almost overwhelming how many good things have happened this week because we live in a very distracted age, right? We've got these things here. Where is it? We've got these little phone devices, right? And they're just going off, ding, ding 
right? You're getting text messages. There's 14 different ways to communicate with people. You're getting notifications for everything. They're letting you know your oven's on. They let you know that your water filter needs to be replaced. Amazon is listening to your every conversation right now. Amazon is transcribing this sermon right now. And I'm just, you know, that's going on. There's always something going on. You walk into any restaurant, right? And there's 27 TVs on the, on the walls. And this is just Europeans in America. We have TVs on the wall. I don't know if you guys have this in Europe, but in America, you can't go into a restaurant without there being 15 TVs on the wall. It, even in the five-star restaurants now, when you walk into the five-star restaurants, they might have one space that's TV-free, but there's TVs on in the other place, and we're just TVs everywhere. And when you walk outside, there's billboards and phones, and everything's dinging, and there's music, and we just live in this age of distraction. And God starts doing these good things. He starts providing miracles, but we're distracted, much like these nine. We walk around. Oh, man, the miracle. Miracle workers over there. And we're like, oh, man, the miracle, right? This reminds me, a, a good a parallel here is the story of Aladdin. Anybody remember in the 90s, they made the, the cartoon version of Aladdin, right? 92, Robin Williams, okay? Show of hands, anybody seen Aladdin? Okay, I just want to make sure, just want to make sure you guys, if not, can I recommend the movie Aladdin to you? It's, it's fun, it's cool. Well, in the story of Aladdin, you have Aladdin, you have the genie. Aladdin's a young man. He comes in, he finds this lamp, he rubs it, a genie pops out. The genie is really, in the narrative, from a literary criticism standpoint, the genie is functioning as a godlike character. It's a cosmic being with superpowers who just wants to be a friend and help Aladdin out. In fact, Robin Williams sings, you've never had a friend like me. And if you notice, in the beginning of their relationship, genie and Aladdin are equals. They're friends. They're in this together. They have a, they have a, a solid relationship. Genie may be a cosmic person, uh, a cosmic being with these superpowers, but Aladdin, they're, they're chummy. They're friends. They have a great relationship. They're cordial. But as the narrative goes along, Aladdin becomes more and more of someone. Uh, he becomes more and more disconnected from Genie. He becomes more and more transactional in his relationship with Genie, finally getting to a point where he's like, Genie, just do the wishes. I'm telling you what to do. Just go do them. And this is a beautiful picture of the same thing we do as humans. God does these miraculous things. And in the beginning, man, we are so excited that there's a God. But as we go, we get distracted by these things that he gives us. We get distracted by the gifts and we lose sight of the giver of the gifts. I want you to notice the distracting power of miracles. But we keep reading. And we read about the one in verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Uh, cleansed? Where, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Second thing I want us to notice here is the diverting grace of Jesus. What just happened here happened graciously. It was a merciful act. It was God provided something he was under no obligation to provide, but these people asked, and because God loves people, he gave and he granted this is a, an, an instance of an act that took place that was graciously given by faith, th the faith of this one. All of them were 
cleansed, all of them were healed. One of them has this moment where as he's going, he looks, he just observes, he sees uh, on his uh, arms, he goes, oh my goodness, this is a miracle. And the nine are distracted, they keep going, the one goes, wait a second, I, I need to be over here wherever the miracle worker is proximity to him, this is the place to be. And he diverts, he turns around, he turns back. In the New Testament, there's this term called repentance. It means to turn around. He does a 180. He turns his life around and he walks towards Jesus. And I want you to pick up on this and just notice the physiology here. In the beginning, the 10 were separate from Jesus. They're calling out to him from afar. They're using a megaphone. Hey, Jesus, hey, Lord. Right? But once he realizes that he's been healed, he turns around and notice what happens. He comes right up to Jesus, falls at the feet of Jesus, is as close to Jesus as he could be. Jesus has now closed the gap. This man thought he was moving towards Jesus. What he didn't understand is Jesus was actually drawing him towards himself by virtue of this gracious, miraculous thing that's going on. Now they're close together. They're having intimate conversation. He is praising God. He's telling everyone around him, this is the day that a miracle is taking place. Praise God. Thank you, God. I'm so thankful. And Jesus takes that moment to acknowledge this man. This man who used to be far off is now brought close. He chooses to acknowledge this man and use it as a teaching moment. He says, by faith, this man has been healed. That word healed there means whole, means made, made whole, means saved. The idea in Christianity when you talk about this, that we are a saved people, it means we come to God. Jesus takes our sins and replace. He gives us more of himself. He brings us into a right relationship with himself. And it's not because we were good enough to execute the ask well. It's not because we wrote our own birthday invitations and Jesus came along and said, well, since you asked me for this, I'm going to give it to you. No, it's by grace. He grace he freely gives this gift to us and brings us close. And it's diverting. We were on one path, but then we saw who Jesus is, and so we turned around, and we went on a whole new path following Jesus. Have you ever noticed, Christians, have you ever noticed how following Jesus often requires us to divert our path? We thought we were going one way, and then Jesus came into a relationship with us and brought us close, and now we're on a whole different path. There's a, a famous uh, 19th century Western short story written by the American author Bret Hart. Now, this is not the wrestler, Bret the Hitman Hart, for those of you who like wrestling. This is a different Bret Hart. He wrote a short story called The Luck of Roaring Camp about a group of gold miners and they live in the saloon, they all live in a saloon in the, in the Old West, and a baby is born in the midst of their saloon with no mom, and they've got this baby in the middle of this bar area, and you know, these are all kind of saloon people if you've ever watched a Western. They're just kind of rough men, there's no women around, they're always fighting and cussing and shooting at each other and just being, you know, unruly people. But this baby is there in the midst of them, born, and it's really interesting. They, they all kind of gather around, and they look at this baby, and they nickname the baby Luck. That's why it's called the Luck of Roaring Camp. And they say, okay, what are we going to do with this luck that we've been given? And they go, well, the baby can't sleep on the floor. And so they fashion together a crib, and they build it, and they put the baby in it. And they're like, well, the baby's still crying. We need to get some pillows. And so they get pillows, and they go find you know, drapes, and they go find different things to kind of put in there. They've got a blanket system, and now the baby can go to sleep. Well, now that the baby's asleep, they're going, okay, well, we got to be quiet, guys. Stop all this cussing. Stop all this fighting. You know, any of you guys have ever had babies, you know this, right? Like, getting a baby to sleep, that's everything. That's your whole day. The baby goes to sleep, and all of a sudden, you're just like, 
like, don't talk, right? You turn your phone on silent, no distractions, quiet. Gonna be quiet in the house. If you had a dog and he barks the first time, you don't have a dog anymore, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Like everything, this is what they're doing. They're just getting quiet. They're, they, they eventually stop cussing. They stop fighting with each other. They clean up the saloon area. They hang beautiful art, artworks on the wall to just create a nurturing environment. They've got tapestries and they've got window treatments and all these things. And then they go outside. They start cleaning up the lawn, mowing the lawn, fixing the trees. And after a while, this camp that used to be an unruly camp becomes a prosperous part of that community. And the purpose of the story, as Bret Hart tells it, is to show how amazing it is that when a child is born on this earth, it changes everything around them. In particular, when one child was born on this earth at Christmas, when Jesus comes to earth, when Jesus comes into our life, it diverts our life. It changes everything around us for the better. It puts us into this whole new relationship with him, the diverting power of the grace of Jesus. But finally, I want you to notice another thing here today. I want you to notice the distinctive role of thankfulness, the role that thankfulness plays. Jesus says and commends this in this one who turned around. He says, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Was no one found to return and give thanks to me except this foreigner? I want to call out specifically this thankfulness, this praising, this gratitude on display. Now, here's the question I want us to consider and meditate on for the remainder of this message. Why is it that among all things, Jesus decides to call out thankfulness in particular? Jesus teaches us a lot in this passage here, but why is he focusing on the thankfulness and the gratitude of the one who turned around? And to answer that question, I want us to jump over to Philippians chapter 4, because the Apostle Paul who wrote Philippians 4, he's someone who knew a thing or two about his life being turned around. He's someone who knew what it meant to be lost and found. He's someone who knew what it meant to be thankful. In fact, if you read much of Paul's writings, he typically begins with, I give thanks to God for all these things, or I give thanks to God for you. He is very much a philosopher, a theologian of thankfulness. And he talks about this particular question right up here. He takes it up in Philippians chapter 4, and I want you to notice some things. He writes, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't get distracted by the world around you. Don't get distracted by the miraculous things going on. Don't get blinded by all the goodness that you miss the miracle worker. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God or let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts, and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice something. Number one, I want you to notice how thankfulness helps us become integrated before God. I want you to notice how thankfulness helps us to become integrated before God. I don't know if you've thought about that word integrated. Integrated just means everything's all working together. 
When you're distracted, when you're anxious, when you have 47 notifications going on, when you're walking into the restaurant with all the scattered TVs, if, you know, if you're just a person living in life in 2022, there's a lot of distractions going on. You feel scattered. You feel pulled in multiple directions. Your mind is over here, but your body is over here. Or you walk in and you're kind of emotionless because actually you're thinking about this thing over here. You sit down at dinner with your family and you're just kind of like, huh? It takes you about 30 seconds just to clue in what your kids were telling you about school. And you're just like, what? It just sounds like Charlie Brown teacher on the phone, won't, 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 because you're just scattered. You're pulled in every direction. And guess what? Paul lived in a time where he was scattered and pulled in lots of directions. He knew what it meant to be anxious. And he says, here is the secret to combating anxiousness. You can't be thankful and anxious at the same time. Because anxiousness puts all of our focus on us. It requires us to be very self-focused. Oh my gosh, what's going on? I don't know. But you can't be thankful and self-focused at the same time. Thankfulness starts to integrate us. It starts to make us whole. Paul says it's going to guard, the peace is going to guard your heart and your mind. It's going to bring your thinking and your feeling and your being, your doing together all in one place. Or to put it this way, thankfulness requires us to bring all of ourselves to God so that he can make all of ourselves whole. Thankfulness puts us in position to bring all of ourselves to God so that he can freely make all of ourselves healed and whole. Think about it this way. If, once, I don't know, anybody in here still write thank you notes? I don't know if it's just a thing. Do you guys write, we got some people who still write thank you notes. Have you seen someone who's written a thank you note before? You guys know that, right? In Europe, do they write thank you notes? Is that a thing? Okay. We, the European delegation says thank you notes are still a thing in Europe. Americans, we always follow Europeans because they're cooler than us. I'm just saying we should write thank you notes. That's all I'm saying, right? Let's be like Europeans in that respect, okay? Uh, if you've ever had to write a thank you note, have you noticed you can't write a thank you note and be disconnected? You can't be a scattered person writing a thank you note. It won't happen. You won't finish the thank you note. You'll be like, dear Mrs. Johnson, and you'll be done. That's it. There's no more. When you go to write a thank you note, you actually have to physically sit down somewhere and be still at a table. And you've got to get a card and put it down. You've got to get a pen. You have to remember how to write in cursive. Uh, is the L a loop? Uh, I don't know, right? And you've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to physically be there. You can't be somewhere else. And then you have to muster up the thinking. Okay, what is it I want to say? And you've got to craft your words exactly. Anybody ever go in to write a thank you note and you haven't thought it through beforehand? Never goes well, right? No. You start writing. If you're listening to any music in the background, uh, like one time, I remember uh, in the late 90s, I, I was a senior in high school. I was writing thank you notes for a lot of gifts that I was being given as a senior in high school or whatever. And I was listening, well... I was listening to a song called No Diggity by Black Street, okay? Just, just being real with you, right? And um, I remember I'm writing like, you know, again, it wasn't Ms. Johnson, but dear Mrs. Johnson, I want to thank you for the whatever gift. It was so lovely. I hadn't thought this through. I was just hoping stream of consciousness this would work, right? And then I just wrote, no diggity, no doubt, right? <laughs> yeah. And then I had the moment where I was like, could I make this work? 
Uh, could I leave this in and make this work? But you also know this. Part of the reason it's so stressful to write thank you notes is you have to get it right. And if you mess up, if you're not thinking fully, then that thank you note ceases to be a thank you note. It starts to become a coaster on your table. Do you know what I'm talking about? With the thickness of the paper, you're like, I have no other use for this thick paper. Maybe I can strap two of them together. It becomes a coaster. I protect the wood. This is at least how I think through things, right? You have to be present. You have to be physically there, you have to be mentally there, and you have to be emotionally there. Have you ever noticed when you are writing a thank you note, how oftentimes just a sense of gratitude will well up in you? You just, you start putting words on paper. You start remembering the moment of receiving that gift. You remember how desperate you were before that act of graciousness hit you. And all of a sudden, you just start crying, right? Like you're watching one of those commercials that makes you cry a lot. It's just you're having your own private little commercial there as you're sitting there at the table and just doing the thing. Thankfulness integrates us. It helps us to be fully ourselves before God so that he might freely bring the fullness of healing to us. But there's a second thing that's going on here that Paul tells us. He says this, finally, verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything, any excellence, if there's uh, anything worthy of praise, think about these things and what you have learned and received and heard in me. Practice these things. The God of peace will be with you. One of the other things that's closely associated with thankfulness is this. Thankfulness helps us be rightly oriented to God or helps us to be reoriented to God. There's something about sitting down and trying to thank God, even if you're praying and thanking God, or you're writing a thank you note to God, or you're writing a journal entry to God, anytime you're having to thank, it, it's like as if you, you know, there's this, there's this song, uh, that you, this hymn that people sing, count your blessings, it goes like this, count your many blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings and see what God has done. There's something about counting your blessings, that as you count them, it's like, you realize it, there are too many blessings around you to be up to chance. There has to be this greater power out there who is masterminding all of this thing. It's as if being thankful puts you in this position to see beyond your blessings, to see the one who's actually the blesser giving you that thing. There's another movie in the 90s uh, called Phenomenon that came out in the, the mid-90s. It was a John Travolta and Kara Sedgwick sort of sci-fi rom-com, which, I mean, in our household is like the Venn diagram that we're looking for, right? Rom-com, and then I want sci-fi. I'm in, right? Uh, and the main plot of the movie is that John Travolta sees a flash of light in the sky, and then suddenly when he wakes up, he has like superhuman thought processes. He can learn things, and he can do things. He can like telekin you know, telekinetic things or whatever. Anyway. But the B story in the film is this love story between uh, George uh, and Lace. Lace is a single mom in town who uh, fixes or puts together wooden chairs. She basically creates wooden rocking chairs out of lumber. And she goes to George, who owns a kind of an auto body shop, and says, George, uh, you know, can I sell my wooden rocking chairs at your auto body shop. And he's like, no, like I, I fix cars. Why would I sell wooden rocking chairs? She's like, please, I'm just desperate. I need to sell these wooden chairs. I need to make money to take care of my kids. And finally he's like, okay. Well, as the plot goes along, George keeps coming back to, to Lace saying, hey, I need another order of your chairs. At the time when she really needs to make money, George shows up to ask for more chairs. She has this little small business going. She's able to sustain her family. George keeps showing up, asking for more chairs. She 
She says yes. She makes them for him. She drops them off. He sells them. He keeps coming back saying, man, people really love your chairs. They're buying them like crazy. And she's able to take care of herself. She's able to take care of her kids. And she's just like, man, this is really great. I've created this little you know, economy and be able to provide for my family. This is incredible. And then towards the end of the movie, she goes over to George's house and she walks into one of his rooms and turns on the light. And there are a hundred wooden chairs just stacked on each other in this room. And she realizes all this time she thought people were buying her chairs to provide for her needs. But really what was going on is that George was buying her chairs to provide for her needs. And in that moment, she realizes how much he loves her. And in that moment, she realizes how much she loves him. Friends, can I tell you that when we practice thankfulness, it puts us into this position to be rightly oriented to who God is so that as we count our many blessings, we can see that ultimately it is God who has been the one loving us through this provision. It has been God who is the one calling out to us. It has been God who is leading this the whole time. And as we come to realize that he loves us, we too grow in our understanding that we love him. Paul understood this, which is why on the road to Damascus, when his eyes were blinded and he woke up, he finally saw the light and he turned his life, and he followed Jesus. The one leper understood this, which is why when he was going along, seeing his arms healed, he caught a glimpse of how good Jesus was to him, and he turned, and he went back, and Jesus drew him close. Thankfulness puts us into a position to receive from Jesus everything that he freely gives to us. And when we do that, we realize we have never had a friend like him. And so first Orlando, here's how I want us to respond today. You, do, you, you may think this, you may think this, that you can't use technology in church. I may have just kind of you know, said technology is bad a little bit earlier, but I'm changing my mind here. I want to invite you to take out your phones if you have them. And I want to, I want to invite you to open up your notes app. And here's how I want us to respond. I want us to practice writing a thank you note to God. This is our exercise. We're going to do this as a spiritual practice towards the end. Just open up your notes, you know, just kind of tell yourself the pastor said it's okay. So I feel like we're on good moral grounds here. Okay. And I want you to open up your notes and we're going to have a little piano in the background you may hear. That's just to kind of set a tone here for us. I want to invite you to craft a thank you note to God. If you're someone who has never followed Jesus, maybe your note says something like this. Jesus, whatever it means to follow you, I want to follow you. I want to thank you for all that you've done for me. Draw me closer to who you are. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a while. And maybe there are just some ways you need to count your blessings in your life and practice gratitude and thankfulness. I want to invite you to craft a thank you note to him. We'll take a few minutes just to practice this together.
It's really cool to look all around the room. We've got a lot of people on their phones. I'm pretty sure they're not checking NFL scores. I think what's happening is a lot of folks around here earnestly trying to craft an expression of their gratitude to Jesus. You know, Patrick Barrett, who is on our staff, who gives leadership admissions, in fact, I think is sitting right over here right now. I walked up to Patrick this week and I was doing my thing. When I sermon prep, I just kind of walk around like a Greek philosopher and I'm just, you know, like looking into the universe, just trying to think of things. I'm just doing one of these things here. Sorry, camera people, if you're having to follow me. And I saw Patrick Barrett just kind of walking up. I was like, Patrick, I was like, hey, what's up? He's like, what are you thinking about? I said, I'm thinking about my sermon on thankfulness. And this is classic Patrick Barrett. He just kind of stops and he goes, well, gratitude always terminates outside of ourself. <laughs> right? It always needs this external act here. And he just walked into his office. Like, that's just no big deal because he's a genius, right? This is the kind of people we have on staff. They're incredible. A lot of you are in here today with your phones open. And that gratitude that maybe has been buried down in there, you're aware of it for the first time and it's starting to express itself in words. Can I just encourage you this week as we enter into Thanksgiving to practice expressing gratitude and thankfulness to who Jesus is and for what he's done for you? Because thankfulness will put you in position to receive from Jesus everything that he freely gives to you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for our friends from Europe. I pray that you bless their time uh, here as they observe and, uh, and hang out in Orlando and other parts of, I guess, of the U.S. I pray for all of us who are going to be celebrating Thanksgiving this week. May we be like the family who was baptized and just consider to count our blessings and to name them one by one, to count our many blessings and to see what you have done and to express that gratitude to you in praise and in worship for your glory and for our good and for the good of this community that we love, Orlando. It's in your name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.